0: Hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to an obviously impromptu law of self-defense. Whoops. Let me, that's, we're streaming to YouTube for sure and on the member dashboard and, oh, good heavens. I'm using my on-the-road studio setup. Hopefully, everybody can Hear me okay. Let's check out the comments. See if there's audio, video working. Uh, This is the first time using this setup while I'm uh, on the road. So, and that looks like it's working too. So it looks like, oh, I forgot to check Twitter. Good old Twitter. So if the show seems a little disorganized, folks, now you know why. All right. We are streaming everywhere. All right. Welcome, folks. I'm thankful you could join me. Join me in such short notice. I just decided before I have to check out of this hotel that I would try to <clears throat> see if this studio setup is going to work for this trip. And it looks it looks like it is. All right. Awesome. It's not that easy to fit this kind of stuff onto a, uh, a spare monitor, a good microphone, to uh, pack it all onto a motorcycle. And I am on a motorcycle trip. So I'm on the road. Uh, but I will be doing my best to do uh, shows uh, like this. This one I hadn't planned to do, so it's a little disorganized. Sorry about that. Uh, yeah, motorcycle trip. Uh, right now I'm in Bryce Canyon, Utah. Um, and it's it's amazing. <laughs> it's lovely. The riding here is just uh, incredible. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, so I don't have much specifically organized uh, to talk about, except of course, there's been some updates in the Jordan Neely situation. Uh, So I'll speak to that. And I'm happy to take any questions uh, you want to offer. As always, if you're a Law Self-Defense member, uh, I would encourage you to put your questions in the member chat. Those are free. If you're watching this on YouTube or um, on Rumble, uh, then your questions need to be a $5 minimum, YouTube or Rumble rant. And I don't have most of my cool graphics. I don't know why. I'll have to have those sent to me from the office. Um, but if you're not yet a Law of Self Defense member, I have to ask why you're not. Uh, because membership's dirt cheap. You can you can try it out for just 99 cents if you go to and I have a, <laughs> it's a pretty ugly, pretty ugly screen here. Uh, but if you go to lawofselfdefense.com/trial, you can get two weeks of Law of Self Defense member access for only 99 cents. Uh, And if you cancel, we'll give you 200% of your money back. Uh, Or if you stay a member, and virtually everyone stays a member, uh, it's only about 30 cents a day to be a law self-defense member, folks. Less than $10 a month, and you get an infinite number of your questions um, answered for free, as opposed to paying $5 um, a pop on YouTube or Rumble. So I would encourage you to become a member. Of course, that's entirely up to you, but that would be the prudent thing to do. And... Uh, of course, today's show is sponsored by American Law Courses. This is our series of our series of <clears throat> law school level classes at a fraction of the time and the cost in law school, and without any of the political toxicity of law school. Uh, so far, we've done uh, criminal law last fall by attorney Steve Gosney. We did property and evidence this spring, and now the summer semester is coming up on May seventeenth, with constitutional law being taught by Linda Denno. Hopefully, many of you saw my interview of Linda just this past Thursday evening. Um, And you can still sign up for this class at the 50% off discount. If you sign up just for constitutional law, there's a a payment option available for that too. If you click that learn more button. (coughs) Uh, And if you sign up for multiple classes, for bundles of classes, you can pick the classes you want or you can sign up for all three. Uh, all three. We have like seven classes um, immediately available or upcoming soon. Uh, The per per class cost comes down to something like $500 a class, folks, which is unbelievably inexpensive for law school level education on your rights. So you can be the best American citizen you can be. And you can learn more about all of that at AmericanLawCourses.com, AmericanLawCourses.com. Okay. So Jordan Neely, the homeless guy who died on the subway. I'm not even going to say he was choked to death because that's not obvious to me. I'd like to see the evidence that uh, Jordan Neely was choked at all because that's not obvious to me. Um, and, of course, as I predicted last Thursday, uh, they, they were um, holding back the name of the uh, young Marine who restrained Jordan Neely. Uh, that name has now been released. Daniel Perry, ironically enough, the same name as the uh, gentleman in Austin, Texas, who was just convicted of shooting the BLM protester. The Matrix is weird. So now we know his name. Of course, we knew we were going to know his name because the media already knew it and they can't keep their dirty mouth shut. So it was inevitable that we would learn of the Marine's name. And now we do. It's it's Daniel Perry from West Islip, New York, which is not far from where I was raised for um, much of my life in, uh, as a kid in New York after we, we moved out of the city into the suburbs. West Islip. And um, that's on Long Island for folks who don't know. Um, so some questions I still have about all of this is, uh, of course, we don't, have, we don't have any toxicology on Mr. Neely yet. Uh, I'd like to think we'd get that soon. Um, certainly, he has family who say he was addicted to drugs. I believe it was his brother who said he was addicted to drugs when interviewed by the, by, by the police, uh, by the media. Um, and we don't know really what the cause of death is. So I know the, it's been various, variously described as the coroner or the medical examiner has come up with a cause of death of homicide with a mechanism of asphyxiation. But it's important to understand that this may not be a a conclusion based on actual examination. Because medical examiners are permitted to arrive at a determination of cause of death based on circumstantial evidence, the evidence surrounding the circumstances of the death. Uh, So if, uh, if they're brought a badly crushed body and they're shown video, of the body jumping off the roof of a 10-story building, um, they're allowed to conclude that the cause of death was the impact with the ground from the fall. Now, is it theoretically possible that, in fact, that body was put in a garbage compactor and then thrown off the roof? Sure. Uh, and, and the medical examiner can come to that conclusion that it was the fall that killed the, the victim without taking the victim out of the, out of the body bag, just, just based on the video. You have a dead body. You have video of them falling off a building. There's an apparent mechanism of death. Um, here you have Neely uh, with an arm around his neck, and he stopped breathing, or his heart stopped. I guess we all ultimately die of cardiac arrest. Um, and the, the medical examiner comes up with a mechanism of death of asphyxiation. It's not an unreasonable hypothesis, but it's not necessarily based on a medical finding, an examination of the body. Uh, a properly applied carotid chokehold, first of all, a chokehold, uh, of the type used in fighting sports, MMA, uh, is not asphyxiation. That's not the mechanism of the chokehold. Uh, the mechanism of the chokehold is to constrain the carotid arteries on the sides of the neck, where, of course, a pulse would be taken. Um, you're not asphyxiating. You're not cutting oxygen supply off by crushing on the windpipe, um, because, of course, you could crush the larynx and cause permanent injury, you could kill the person that way. Um, And that's not the goal of a chokehold. The goal of a chokehold is to rapidly induce unconsciousness to submit um, the person you've put in the chokehold. And a properly applied karate chokehold, the larynx is actually tucked protectively in the inside of the elbow. And the bicep and the forearm are pressed on the sides of the neck. And then there's pressure put on the back of the head or neck, to force the neck into that V-shaped vice to put the pressure, the sideways pressure on the carotid. And when the pressure is applied, uh, unconsciousness occurs in about six seconds. It's that quick, folks. Uh, so if you see someone with another person's arm around their neck, and they're conscious for more than six seconds, they're not the victim of a chokehold. A chokehold's not being applied, even though there's an arm around their neck, because you can put your arm around someone's neck and, and not apply the pressure of a chokehold not constrain the blood supply. And you know when the pressure is being applied because unconsciousness is induced in six seconds. So all these people saying that Jordan Neely was put in a chokehold for 15 minutes, that's obviously not the case because you'd be unconscious after six seconds. And that wasn't what we see in the video. We see in the video that for almost the entirety of the roughly three and a half minute video that, um, that I've shared, at least with law self-defense members. Last Thursday, we did a members-only show uh, on this Jordan Neely case, Um, but most of you by now have seen that three-and-a-half-minute video on the subway. Jordan Neely's, you know, he's conscious virtually the entire time until the last 15 or 20 seconds uh, from the point at which he's released, up to 15 or 20 seconds from when he's released, Um, from when they realize he's gone slack, and then they let him go. And a chokehold even if it was applied in that last 15 or 20 seconds, even if that's what induced unconsciousness, a 20-second chokehold's not going to kill anybody. It would take at least a minute, two minutes, before you could reasonably expect there to be death as a consequence of a karate chokehold. So uh, the evidence is actually against Daniel Perry putting Neely in a chokehold, properly understood, where the pressure is being applied to induce unconsciousness because Neely was not unconscious. Now, was uh, was Perry's arm around Neely's neck? Sure. But you can do that without applying the pressure of a chokehold. You can do that simply as a physical restraint, to restrain someone until the police show up, especially when you're being assisted by others who are holding the um, uh, Neely's wrists so he can't reach up and punch at Daniel Perry, uh, which can happen when you're applying a chokehold. Um, The other gentleman pressing down on uh, Neely's shoulder, again, to act in a manner to restrain him, not to kill him, obviously. Um, And like many homeless drug addicts, uh, Neely is likely to have a highly compromised physiology. Uh, Enlarged heart, drug addiction, impaired cardiovascular system, uh, disposed to excited delirium, which is a, a, a real physiological um, event that can happen especially when someone is on drugs and uh, exerting large muscle groups as here as may well have been the actual cause of death in the George Floyd case uh, as opposed to the ridiculous notion that uh, Derek Chauvin's knee killed George Floyd while everyone just stood around and watched obviously nonsense especially given George Floyd's enormously compromised physiology the cocktail of drugs in his system including a, a free t- three times fatal fentanyl level and meth on board and all the pills he just swallowed um, as he was being arrested immediately contemporaneously with his arrest. But that's what we're looking at here. So I've actually seen no evidence, none, um, that Daniel Perry was applying a chokehold to Jordan Neely. Uh, now, Daniel Perry may have told police he was, in, in which case we'd have evidence of that. Um, it also assumes some, a certain degree of competence. It's a pretty sloppy chokehold if it was being applied as a chokehold because the, 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 the inside of Perry's elbow is not quite over the larynx as, as it would be done in a classroom setting. Of course, this wasn't a classroom setting. This is the real world. Um, but it would be interesting to know when, um, whatever Perry might have told the police. I, I'm also hearing that apparently uh, the police have only interviewed one witness from the subway car. Uh, Now, of course, this is the media reporting this, so take that for what it's worth, which is not much, but um, it would be strange uh, that the police at the scene of a dead person uh, didn't detain the witnesses on the subway car and interview them, at least get their contact information. Uh, But if they didn't, those people are gone forever, almost certainly. Um, it would be interesting if people suddenly magically appear and claim they were on the subway car and heard all kinds of terrible things being said, for example, you know, by Perry, uh, to Neely. I mean, that happens a lot in like New York city. You ever see a New York city bus accident? There could be three people on that bus, three passengers on the bus and it gets hit by a car. And within minutes, there's 150 people on that bus because they all want to file a claim, and they all know all they have to do is say they were on the bus and they suffered a soft tissue injury and they're getting some money from the city from the bus accident. So it'll be interesting to see how this develops. Yeah, a law self-defense member Denver says, Neely's uncle, that's who it was, I guess, the uncle stated that Neely was self-medicating with K2. you know, most people are homeless are homeless for a reason, and the reason tends to be uh, mental illness and drug addiction. I mean, we don't really have a homeless crisis in America. We'll find a place to put you if, if you're a normal, responsible uh, person who just needs a, a helping hand. Uh, but most of the people who are homeless don't want to be housed, uh, especially if the housing wouldn't allow them to have their drugs or, w- or would constrain their preferred behavior as they're mentally ill. Uh, they're, they're living on the streets, in tents, wherever, uh, because they choose to, for the most part. Uh, so certainly it wouldn't be surprising that Neely was on drugs. We, we should have a tox result, of course, that'll tell us. I doubt Neely's uncle knew every drug he could have been on. I mean, certainly, you know, it's not like Neely has an uncle, but he wasn't living with his uncle, was he? I, I presume there's a reason for that. Let's see, uh, Shane, our moderator, Shane. Hey, Shane uh, says, uh, I'm sure they did get witness info as the police released them and the multitude of 911 calls. Uh, they'll have uh, they'll have the caller's information at a minimum. You would think so. You would think so. A properly operating system should, uh, but you never know with these police departments. You know, I remember from the the Freddie Gray case in Baltimore. Freddie Gray was the street corner drug addict. Uh, state's attorney, uh, Marilyn Mosby, her husband, was a local politician in Baltimore, and uh, his constituents were complaining about this open-air drug market. So he asked his wife, the state's attorney, the local prosecutor, to ask the police to do a sweep uh, and clear out the drug dealers. And they did, and one of the people they, they swept up was Freddie Gray. Um, they chased him, they tackled him, they arrested him, and uh, put him in the back of a police van for transport of prisoners. And he was fine when he went into the police van. There, were, there was no indication of injury. Uh, but when the police van next stopped and the, the doors were open, he had a broken neck, Freddie Gray. And he died a few days afterwards from that broken neck injury. Uh, there was zero evidence that the broken neck was caused by the police. There was zero evidence they used any force on his neck. In fact, the medical examiner in that case had initially reported that it, it resembled a shallow diving. Shallow water diving injury. Um, And probably what happened, we can make a reasonable inference, that Freddie Gray was handcuffed, wrists and I believe ankles because he kicked in fighting arrest, uh, put in the police van on a bench. um, And at some point he stood up in the van, this little low-roofed van. The van probably braked for a, a red light or a stop sign. And as you can imagine, if your wrists are cuffed behind your back and the vehicle you're standing up in breaks, you tend to keep moving forward. He probably just toppled forward, hit his head on the forward bulkhead of the van and broke his neck that way, which is, uh, you know, wasn't intended by anybody. Uh, for all you may recall, it was hi- highly reported in the media that he'd been given a rough ride by the driver of the police van. Freddie Gray, of course, was black. Um, so this is one of those racially energized cases. The driver of the van was also black. And they had video surveillance cameras of the van in progress. There was never any evidence of a, of a rough ride given to Freddie Gray. Um, but one of the arguments made by the prosecutors was that this was essentially manslaughter by the officers who made the arrest and the driver because they failed to seatbelt Freddie Gray into the van. If he'd been seatbelted in, he would have been you know, locked in place, wouldn't have been free to stand up in the van and get his neck broken. Uh, now, for the entire history of the Baltimore Police Department, it's never been required that you seatbelt suspects into the vans. It just it, it just wasn't a rule. And it's kind of dangerous to do, if you think about it, trying to seatbelt somebody else in another adult. in, you have to kind of bend across their body to do it. Um, they may be handcuffed, but they still have teeth. They can still headbutt you. Uh, so the police generally didn't seatbelt people in. Um, but a month before the Freddie Gray arrest, the, the Baltimore Police Department changed this policy and sent out a, uh, a new SOP standard operating procedure that suspects were supposed to be seatbelted belted uh, into vans if that could be d- done consistent with safety of the officers and the suspect. So there was still discretion to the officers. But the, the, the prosecutor said, hey, th- the police officers had this new rule. They were required to seat belt Gray in. They didn't do that. He died as a result. That was reckless manslaughter. But the defense was, well, prove that any of these defendants, any of these officers actually got notice of this new rule, were actually informed of the new rule. And the new rule had been emailed out, emailed to all the police officers in the Baltimore Police Department. Um, so the prosecutors went and looked for evidence of the email and they couldn't find any because the, the Baltimore Police Department email system was so screwed up uh, that they, they, they couldn't show an outgoing email or they couldn't show that the officers had opened the email or read the email. Uh, and therefore they couldn't show that these officers were even aware that this brand new policy had been in effect um by the way uh, all those officers were ultimately either either acquitted at trial i think 3 3 of the 6 charged were acquitted at trial a bench trial uh, with a with a black judge uh, or by then uh, it, it was clearly a pointless to prosecute them because there, there was no evidence of any of any criminal conduct by any of the officers Uh, finally the charges were dismissed. And now Marilyn Mosby, uh, last I heard, she's looking at federal charges for some financial shenanigans and dealing with uh, COVID money. Uh, And uh, she's uh, looking at federal prison time, last I saw her name in the news. Couldn't happen to a nicer person. Let's see. Uh, Law self-defense member Jay says, if this goes to trial, I suspect the state will employ the same strategies we saw in the Chauvin trial. They'll go window shopping for a pulmonologist who forms his opinion of asphyxiation solely based on the video, not any medical physiological evidence of asphyxiation. Um, yes. Yeah, of course that's what they'll do. They'll probably get the same crazy guy, right? He's probably the uh, you know uh, lynch-the-police pulmonologist at this point. Uh, Mike Sullivan uh, says, "Mr. Branca, Perry was the guy in Texas shooting the New York City Marine is Penny. Is that right? Sorry, folks. I've been on a, I've been riding around on a motorcycle for most of the day. The last few days, Penny is correct. Sorry about that, folks. So it's Jordan Neely and Daniel Penny, not Perry. Thanks for the correction." Yeah, what little I know, I've kind of picked up uh, largely from uh, listening to uh, YouTube on the motorcycle. Little news clips. It's a little hard to hear when the bike is uh, running at speed. But thank you for the uh, correction, Mike. Let's see if we have anything. Oh, I was not streaming. Let's see. Did I miss? It looks, oh no, it should be working. So, um, yeah. Yeah, Penny, thank you very much for the correction. Let's see if we have anything to address in the questions. Uh, so, of course, we have all the protests happening now around uh, Jordan Neely. Um, and uh, you should understand, folks, that this is these protests have nothing to do with uh, anything except financial grift and uh, political capital. Uh, it has nothing to do with the legal merits. These protesters, at least the, the organizers of these protests, are um, not operating in good faith. They never are. Uh, Some of them, of course, uh, recall that uh, one of the uh, BLM activists, uh, Patricia Cullen, what was her name? Patricia Cullen? Um, One of the the high-profile BLM activists after George Floyd ended up with, what, three houses, four houses? I forget how many houses um, she managed to accumulate with uh, funds donated to Black Lives Matter. Uh, And some of these leaders of these protests are probably thinking, hey, she did it. I wouldn't mind having two or three houses and not having to worry about money anymore. And all I have to do is this, is disrupt, is foment racial division in the country, is start a race war in America. And I, too, might end up with two or three or four houses and a bunch of money in the bank. Um, so that's the financial grift angle. There's money to be made. A lot of these uh, organizers, of course, are they they work. Their job is as community activists and community organizers. They're paid by organizations like the Ford Foundation, the Getty Foundation, these do-good uh, non-governmental organizations, uh, many of which are also funded by folks like George Soros, who, of course, buys the prosecutors in these districts, including the prosecutor in this district, um, Alvin Bragg, who's the prosecutor the DA, who's also made up these ridiculous charges against Trump, uh, which is a whole other matter. Um, so there's, there's, uh, and they do this for, for the financial benefits they can gain. Uh, part of them, it's just their day job. It's what they're paid to do. Um, lower level organizers, they're also paid to do these things. These are obviously organized affairs. Uh, the leaders are, get a regular paycheck, uh, to do this kind of thing. And of course, uh, if they're really successful, they could end up like Patricia Cullen and get a few, get a few houses out of it. So that's the financial grift and the, uh, the political capital play is, um, is obvious. Um, I mean, one of the prosecutors of Derek Chauvin, for example, one of the most despicable of the prosecutors is now a judge. Um, so he gained political capital in that persecution of Derek Chauvin. Um, everybody looks that participated in the prosecution of Chauvin is a hero to their tribe, their political tribe in America. They all did the right thing. They fought the good fight, as far as they're concerned. Uh, they're, uh, they're, they're stars at their local cocktail parties. That's how political capital works. That's what's motivating them. It's got nothing, nothing to do with legal merit. And you can tell because they're not making any legal merit arguments um, at all. Uh, and you can see that on Twitter, too. The, the arguments being made against Daniel Penny... Um, are not arguments of legal merit. They're, they're ridiculous things. Like, he, he held Neely in a chokehold for 15 minutes. As we talked about, that's obviously nonsense. Um, because Neely would have been unconscious in the first six seconds. And that's not what we see in the video. Uh, that uh, Neely hadn't actually attacked anybody yet. Uh, so, how could there be a justification for using any force on him? Uh, much less deadly force. Well, of course, you don't have to wait until you're attacked. The law of self-defense allows you to defend yourself against the imminent attack that's about to happen. If someone says, I'm going to shoot you, and they start pulling a gun out of a holster, uh, you don't have to wait for them to shoot you to actually cause you injury before you can defend yourself. You're allowed to defend yourself and others against the imminent attack that's about to happen. If Jordan Neely's on the subway car, as is reported, threatening people with deadly force harm, taking off his jacket, throwing it on the ground, these are all pre-fight assault indicators um, that would lead a reasonable person to believe that a deadly force attack is about to come. And by the way, homeless people on the New York subway system kill all the time. In a recent year, 10 people were killed on the subways from things like being thrown in front of trains, uh, knifing people, stabbing people to death. Uh, So these are real things that New Yorkers on the subways are well aware happens. So they're all aware of the the potential risk. And then when you have someone in front of you threatening to do exactly that in the moment, that's an actionable threat, an imminent threat against which, of course, you can use force to defend yourself. And if you look at the video, nobody there thought that a death was happening. Just look at their demeanors. Uh, Let's see... Yeah, I don't have any motorcycle video from this trip, folks. It's, uh, I have all the stuff. I've tried it before, the whole motorcycle vlogging thing. I've got the GoPros and, and the in helmet microphone. And, and I love when other people do it. That's some of my favorite YouTube video content is uh, when other motorcycle r- riders make videos of their trips and share it on YouTube. I'm just not good at it. I forget to turn the camera on. I forget to have the audio rights. And then when I get home from the trip and I have these hours and hours and hours of video, I just don't have the time to sit down and edit video and turn it into something nice with music in the background. And so I've pretty much given up on that. I just take, uh, I just take snapshots or, for, uh, for my own enjoyment and to, uh, and to, uh, to use when it's necessary to Twitter block somebody per SOP, of course. Let's see. Yeah, I get on my bike for fun, too. Um, but I like long trips. I mean, yesterday I was on the bike for from 8 o'clock in the morning till 4 o'clock in the afternoon uh, when I got to Bryce Canyon after leaving uh, Durango, Colorado, and uh, riding through Glen Canyon and uh, the Grand Staircase and um, Pacific Reef. Um, it was wonderful, wonderful riding, but you're on there eight hours. There's, there's always on a long ride like that, there's at least here, if you're blessed, um, there's about four or five hours of unbelievably good roads, technical riding, lots of fun. Um, but there's always a few hours too of just kind of straight blasting down the road and, uh, when that's happening, I, I generally put something on to uh, to listen to, some audio tape. Yesterday, I was listening to um, one of my favorite authors, uh, Nick Cole. If you don't know Nick Cole, I would recommend taking a look at his stuff. In fact, I wonder if I can share. Let's see. Nick Cole's written a ton of books. Uh, one of them is what he calls his Forgotten Ruins series. It's an interesting concept. It's it's basically a, a, a battalion of Army Rangers are sent into the future, and uh, they end up on a version of Earth that's very much like Lord of the Rings. Uh, and he's got he must have six or seven books in that series now. And I was listening to one of the most recent ones yesterday. And that was Underspire. Uh, See if I can make that bigger. So the, uh, that's the cover art of the book. Obviously, it'll give you some sense of the, uh, the intermixing, the conflating of the Lord of the Rings and the uh, army ranger themes there. It's a lot of fun. Rangers and... Uh, are there hobbits? There are elves, there are dwarves, there are giants. There are orcs or equivalents of all these things. I'm not sure that there's been hobbits. Uh, but that was a lot of fun. Listening to that for an hour or two. Finally got that done. I'm going to see Nick, by the way. Uh, Nick Cole. I'll see him in a couple days. We're going out to dinner. Him and the lovely Medusa. So if you're not familiar with Nicole's Cole's work, uh, I would encourage you to take a look at that. It's uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, let's see. Yesterday. Where was I Yesterday. I don't know how easy it is to share. Let's see. Looks like I would have to pull some of this out. So, yesterday I started in uh, Durango. There's a photo from yesterday. That's the uh, Durango train station. They have an old uh, st- steam powered locomotive. They run from Durango up to Silverton, Colorado. I've actually never been on that train, but uh, it runs right out of the station behind the hotel. I stay out there usually. Uh, and I also have uh, this is a curious picture. So there's a, I don't usually stay at this hotel. This is the Strader Hotel. But on the second floor, they have the Louis Lamoore room. Uh, Louis Lamoore was a a prolific author of Western novels; they're they're wonderful to read even today. Uh, And uh, he he lived in this hotel room at the Strader Hotel uh, for long periods of time, writing his Westerns out there in the West. And Durango is the genuine West. Uh, Durango's neat there are people who still walk around in town dressed in like you know, 1870s western gear uh, I think they, they, they ride on the train as well as part of the kind of the theme of the train um, it's a nice little town Durango I like going through there quite a bit and, uh, and the riding to get there from the Denver area is really nice oh that's the same hotel by the way where I got uh, assaulted by the old lady down in the saloon if you, uh, if you haven't heard that story. And then from Durango. I rode into. Into Utah. And let's see. I didn't get a good picture of of Glen Canyon, which was beautiful, of course, if you've never ridden through there. But uh, I got a photo at uh, Capitol Reef. And... at the Grand Staircase. And of course, where I am currently, Bryce Canyon, see if there's any more questions Uh, Law Self-Defense member Denver says, notes, uh, Andy Goh. Andy Goh is uh, uh, an Asian journalist who has done a lot of tremendous coverage of uh, Black Lives Matter and TIFA. He's been viciously, physically attacked by them on multiple occasions. Very, very brave guy. One of the few good journalists out there. Uh, Andy Goh had noted that Neely's behavior changed significantly years ago. He was m- well known as the impersonator dancer, but then his behavior changed radically. And Go wrote in a tweet years ago to stay away from the Michael Jackson impersonator. Um, yeah, so of course they what they uh, what the activists show you are all the pictures of Neely acting normal, right? Doing uh an entertaining Michael Jackson impersonation on the subways, uh, on the cars, in the stations, on the streets of New York. Uh, for money. And, of course, if you've ever been to New York, there's lots of people like that. Um, earning a living, doing that kind of thing. Um, but that's not what Neely was doing when the passengers on that subway car decided he needed to be restrained until the police could show up. So it's it's a typical misrepresentation. It's the uh, uh, that Neely, as the Michael Jackson impersonator... Who was in a chokehold for 15 minutes is the same kind of lie uh, we get about Michael Brown being the gentle giant uh, who had his hands up, don't shoot. It's the same lie we get about um, Trayvon Martin, uh, represented as a a 12 or 13-year-old in a Hollister t-shirt, clean-cut kid, uh, who was killed for the crime of Skittles and iced tea, um, as opposed to the reality, uh, which was that Trayvon Martin had a grill had photos on his phone, holding a gun, smoking weed, getting into organized street fights, um, thrown out of school for possession of stolen property. Burglar tools are found in in bushes not far from where he attacked uh, George Zimmerman. So of course they can't let you know the truth uh, because if you knew the truth, you wouldn't follow their narrative. You wouldn't believe their narrative. So they have to propagandize these lies. and they'll, you know, George Zimmerman, they lightened his skin tone and photographs. They, they didn't show you the photographs of his bloody nose and the bloody back of the head. They only showed you the photos uh, from the police station after he'd been cleaned up uh, and the blood had been uh, removed. Um, they altered his uh, 911 call recording to make it seem as if he were racist. Uh, George Zimmerman's one of the least racist people you could ever hope to meet in your life. Uh, it's, this is what they do. If they didn't have lies, they'd have nothing to say at all. Uh, so that's what they do. They lie. They lie, they lie, they lie. And why do they lie? Because it's profitable. It's the financial grift. Uh, there's political capital to be made. Uh, journalists as a class uh, despise America. And a racially divided America is a collapsing America. Um, so they're happy to do it. And of course, if it bleeds, it leads in media, right? So um, the truth is often boring. Uh, less, much more boring than the false narrative they want to propagate. Uh, it doesn't enrage people, energize people. So there's there's no interest in, in the truth for any of these actors. Uh, let's see. We have anything else? All right, well, if there's any questions for me, folks, now would be the time. Otherwise, I'll go ahead and... Uh... Oh, my gosh, I've been on 40 minutes already. Yes, all my motorcycle picks I'm in my helmet, because it's troublesome to... I'm just hopping off the bike for a minute to take a photo. That's it. Um, Like this one. Uh, I'm not going to start taking my gear off. (laughs) It gets to be a pain in the butt and takes too much time. I'm on the road to get someplace. Uh, So I just hop off the bike, take a quick picture, and and hop back on. Uh, The only thing I take off is my gloves just so I can operate the iPhone to take the photograph. Look at that sky. The sky is just like the billboard. Isn't it amazing? <laughs> the billboard, of course, is this supposed to be this idealistic view. Uh, but that's what the sky actually looked like yesterday. It was amazing. <laughs> Did I just Photoshop from Google Maps? No. No. Uh, let's see. Was the old lady still there at the Stratner? Uh, I didn't go into the saloon this time. Um, I should have. Uh, I went to a, a, a steak place that, that wasn't very good instead. But uh, the, the little saloon in the Stratner has pretty good food. And typically a guitarist. Yeah, she punched me. <laughs> she was harassing me at the bar. To the point where the bartender came over and asked if I was okay. Uh and uh, they they kicked her out. They told her she had to leave, and she punched me on the way out. And she took her her money back from the tip jar from the guitar player. <laughs> she was, uh, yeah, she was she was pretty juiced. I don't know whatever happened to her. Uh, what do I take with me on long trips? Um, uh, usually too much stuff because usually I'm trying to combine work with the trip. So this trip I have a bunch of business meetings. So I I have to bring like a shirt and tie for the business meetings. Um, I bring all this stuff, my second monitor, this microphone and stuff. So I have a little studio I travel with. Uh, Of course you got to bring some tools and stuff like that. And then I have my kind of regular clothes because on this trip I'll be, I'll be spending a couple days in different places for business meetings and such. So I need regular clothes. And then of course I have the motorcycle clothes, um, that I wear. So it adds up to quite a bit of stuff, but it's a big motorcycle. It's got plenty of uh, room on it. Uh, you can kind of, in fact, maybe I can do a, an enlarged version. Oh, here's a, here's a, maybe a better picture for that of the same sign. bigger uh so you can see i've got panniers on the bike right and left and then a rear pannier and then on the seat behind me i have um, a pretty big case a 48 liter case from uh lone rider they're uh they're a uk motorcycle gear company but they, they sell stuff here in the u.s uh, I like that bag because it's it's inherently waterproof, so I don't have to worry about putting a cover or anything on it. And it's and it's big, and it just it fits on that back seat just fine. And then I have a tank bag, um, in front of me, just with uh you know sunscreen and chapstick and uh, a little bottle of uh you know eyeglass visor cleaner and a and a cloth. And it's got a a, a three liters of water, a little Camelback hose system, uh, so I can take sips of water. While, while i'm traveling uh the bike's got an eight gallon gas tank so you can do over 300 miles before you have to fuel up and 300 miles that's hours on the bike uh so being able to drink a little water um uh, and of course i have uh, uh the bike's wired up for heated gear so i i at this time of year i typically ride with a heated jacket on electric jacket so it's i got a little knob like a thermostat it's like an electric blanket warms you up uh, on this trip, when I came over, when I going into Durango, coming over Wolf Creek Pass, it was it was 33, 34 degrees. There's still plenty of snow up there. So it gets cold, so it's helpful to have the jacket. And then coming through um, uh, Dixie National Forest into uh, Bryce Canyon, they have a, a 9,600 foot pass, and there's plenty of snow up there. That was 38 degrees, I think. So there were a couple times during the trip already where the heated jacket's nice. Even though I know many of you live in parts of the country where it's seventy eighty degrees already uh you gain altitude the it goes down quick uh the guitar player just joked when the lady came and took her her money back out of the jar he just uh um, he just joked on her I think he told her you, you don't have to go home but you can't stay here <laughs> um Have I ever broken down on the bike? Yes, I have broken down on the bike. Um, just once. Not this motorcycle, but my previous, my, my BMW 1200 GS Adventure, the final drive, um, uh, which on a motorcycle is, this is a shaft-driven motorcycle. Uh, there's no chain or belt. It's shaft-driven. So there's like a differential on the rear wheel. And, uh, and BMW, they were known, the final drives were known to be temperamental. And uh, I went through a couple final drives on that bike. Uh, twice it was found to be in need of repair on inspection when I brought it in for service. But once the final drive just went on the highway doing 80 miles an hour, and uh, uh, it basically just broke the connection between the it's like if the chain had broken on the bike, there's no drive power to the rear wheel anymore. So you just, yeah, I had to call a flatbed to come get me and uh, bring me to a, a BMW dealership and uh, Thankfully, uh, they were willing, uh, they very graciously took a final drive off a motorcycle they had on the floor to put on my bike. So I got on the road right away, like the next day. It was all done. Uh, Great guys. I really appreciate them doing that. Otherwise, you had to order the part from Germany. It would have been three weeks. Um, Have I ever broken down other than that? Mm, Flats? You know, but I, I carry a flat repair kit, so I just fixed the flat and I'm on my way. Uh, never, never had a crash. Uh, let's see. Do I bring a thousand guns with me? No. Um. <laughs> uh, Yeah, it's a great bike. The BMW, uh, especially the 12, the new 1250 GS um, engine. My old 1200, this bike is a 2020. So for 12 years before that, I had the 1200 GS Adventure, which is a nice bike, uh, but it doesn't have nearly the power of this one. If you wanted to pass someone on the interstate, you had to kind of plan your pass. You had to build up momentum. And uh, this bike, you don't have to worry about that. You just twist the throttle and it goes. Someone bought a new bike, a VTX 1800R. An 03. Wow, that's an old bike. No, Natalie did not pay for this bike. <laughs> I already had the bike before the Natalie incident. She did pay for my very nice car. Let's see if I have another. I think I have another picture of the bike I could share. Let's see. When I came over Wolf Creek Pass, yeah, kind of a a side view of the bike. So this was uh, as the sign indicates Wolf Creek Pass um, yesterday and you can see there's still plenty of snow up there it was cold but uh, very nice Wolf Creek Pass is a nice uh, is a nice pass on a motorcycle for sure any upgrades to this bike? So I, I will say the GS adventure bikes—they come—they come with just about everything you could possibly want on the motorcycle. Uh, but there are some—I've ridden these bikes for decades, and I do have some personal preferences. So if you look at the front, the front of the bike, there, the bottom left corner, you'll see that there's a, there's a Denali lights, big Denali lights. I've mounted on there. I like to have a lot of light on the front of the bike, and those things turn nighttime into the surface of the sun they, they put out a lot of lumens uh plus i have them on during the daytime just at about 10 percent power uh, so it's just additional lights for oncoming cars to see make me more visible i do have uh, if you look at the um uh, there's a little diagonal silver thing at the bottom right hand corner that's a highway peg so i do have highway pegs on the bike uh the seat is a uh, the 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 most motorcycle seats, when they come from the factory, suck. They're terrible for long rides because they know that most people don't do long rides. Most people are not on a motorcycle for more than an hour at a time, so they don't need very good seats. But if you do long-distance riding like I do, seven, eight, nine, ten hours in a day, uh, you need a very good seat. And the factory seat's pretty good um, on this these new GSs, the 1250 GSs, uh, but you can get a little bit better aftermarket so I do have an aftermarket seat on the bike from a from a company i i really I really like a lot I've used them for years The company is seat concepts seat concepts uh, and they'll they'll sell you either the full seat or just the the special foam and a cover and you can do the you know kind of the installation yourself uh, but that's I've never had an issue on a seat con i could I've never had to get off the bike because the seat was too uncomfortable um I've tried a Corbin seat. I didn't like it, but seats are very personal. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with Corbin. It just wasn't a good fit for me. Uh, I wasn't riding on snow. The the road was clear. The snow was all off the road. Uh, The last time I came over this pass going the other way, the last day of May last year, it was snowing. It was slushy snow on the road, Um, and uh, that wasn't on purpose. It started snowing when I was already up in the pass, so I, I just had to get through it. Uh, but it had been warm um, in previous days, so if, if you've had a, if the road surface itself is warm and it has snow on it, you still have pretty good traction. Um, it's uh, if the if the surface is, has been cold for a long time and you get snow, you have a real problem. But yeah, I've I've ridden in the snow before. I, I don't recommend it. Um, yeah, it was it was about thirty three degrees on Wolf Creek Pass yesterday. But if you're in the if you're in the mountains, the Rocky Mountains, any these passes are all ten thousand feet or higher, uh, so there's there's almost always a risk of snow uh, any time of year. It's it's part of the price you pay for riding in the mountains. It does come with ABS. The BM bikes come with ABS. I would I would not buy a motorcycle today that didn't have ABS. Um, it may be a requirement now that all modern bikes have abs i I don't know it's certainly very common now uh i used to put uh i used to put a variety of uh knobby knobby tires on the bike tkc 80s which are really knobby Uh, a lot of kind of uh, 50-50 tires, so there's half road, half dirt. Um, but I don't, really go in, I don't really go in the dirt anymore. I'm getting kind of old for that. So right now the bike has, uh, has uh, pure road tires on it, uh, road six tires uh, just for highway touring. They're wonderful. I love those road six tires. If you're not going in the dirt, they are incredibly uh, sticky and confident, confidence-inspiring on the road. They, they're just amazing, amazing tires. Uh, they don't have much feel in the dirt or on gravel. So uh, the only time I would go onto dirt would be very momentarily to take a picture like this one. Um, I, I wouldn't just start riding down. A... I mean, you can do it like a fire road. A packed dirt road is fine. I mean, it's fine, uh, but you don't feel comfortable. The, the wheels are moving around under you. And if there's mud, you're, you're cooked. Yeah, Natalie, Natalie, the lawyer who, uh, right, she doesn't. I just don't admire her, uh, her, her manner of legal analysis. I think it's uh, emotionally driven. I think she's into this whole uh, race is responsible for everything mindset. And that doesn't lead, you know, good legal analysis should be emotion free. Road six. I think that I think there's Michelin road six tires. Yeah, it's great. And uh, so, of course, I have a, a GPS unit on the bike. And then I also have uh, my phone mounted on the dash. So uh, I, I have intercom in the helmet so I can actually take phone calls in the helmet, make make. Make phone calls in the helmet at highway speed. Um, I, that's not my preference, but it allows me to, you know, still kind of be able to be responsive to work. Uh, in addition to doing this kind of stuff in hotels, um, there's, uh, you know, you can do books on tape, audible books. Um, if you're a place that has cell reception, you can do YouTube. In fact, someone sent me a YouTube link today um uh, that i i hadn't heard about this case before but apparently there's been a civil settlement in a brazilian jiu jitsu injury case like a 46 million dollar civil settlement somebody a student was um was sparring with an instructor in some bjj gym and and got, got his neck broke um and um uh, I guess he's recovered the ability to walk, but he's always going to be jacked up, and he just got a forty-six million dollars settlement. And I, I I practice Brazilian jiu-jitsu at, at a very basic level. I'm 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 a white belt. I'm nothing. I'm you know as 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 low as you can possibly get on the hierarchy. Um, but of course, people know this, so they sent me the video, and I might listen to that YouTube. It's a couple hours long. Um, but I have a stretch of interstate today. So maybe when I get on the interstate, I'll put that on like, you know, 1.5 speed and, and try to listen to it. Um, and then maybe I'll have, I'll have that to talk about. I don't really do civil law. Uh, I, I think it's boring really compared to criminal law, but, uh, if there's sufficient interest, I'll take a look. Uh, yeah, of course. So my wife will call me when I'm on the bike. Uh, The bike will tell you lean angle. (laughs) So like everything in the world today, the bike comes, this modern bike uh, is completely computerized. So the dashboard is just, you know, a digital dashboard. Uh, And it comes with an app on your phone and the phone and the bike connect uh, and you can, it'll record your route uh, and all the data on the bike, the air pressure, lean angles, braking uh, Gs, Acceleration Gs, it's, it's just amazing. It's amazing. I have to confess, I never look at that stuff, but uh, when, when I got the bike, they showed it all to me. Uh, I don't remember where the YouTube video is about the BJJ thing. It's it's not somebody I'm familiar with, um, and I just listened to the first two minutes to get a feel for it. They, they seem to know what they're talking about, uh, but uh, you know, I won't know for sure. Um, and it's a three-person panel, so it looks like two BJJ instructors and uh, and uh, then a lawyer, a civil lawyer, um, who also does is a BJJ student, I guess. But uh, that's that's all I know at this moment until I hear it. Yeah, I've had my wife call me on the bike when I was doing some very, very technical riding up on uh, the Black Hills in Sturgis um, Needle Highway. If you've ever ridden that, there's it gets pretty technical uh, and she's calling me to ask me about our like our car insurance policy so it's it's not always a blessing <laughs> for sure um, all right folks well it's been just about an hour so i think i'm going to wrap up at this point uh, just remind all of you as always that if you if you carry a gun so you're hard to kill so your family is hard to kill that's why i carry a gun so I'm hard to kill, so my family is hard to kill. Then you also owe it to your family to make sure you know the law so you're hard to convict as well. By the way, I'm going to try to do uh, a show every day on this trip. There will be times when I can't do that, but most of the days of the coming week you should expect uh, to get content from me. Some of that content will be members only. Uh, So become a member. It's $0.30 a day, folks. You can try it out for $0.99 for two weeks. 200% money back guarantee. I, it's a negative risk offer uh, at com slash trial. see if I have a little banner for that. Uh, of course I don't. Or you can just join directly at com slash join. Right there. com slash join. 30 cents a day, folks. At least two shows a week are going to be members only. Uh, moving forward just like we did last week Uh, we'll do it next week and that's our our plan moving forward so uh, roughly half our content is going to be members only which you can access unlimited in in blog post form, video, podcast members only podcast for 30 cents a day so I'd encourage you to take a look at that. Until uh, next time hopefully tomorrow uh, I remain attorney Andrew Branca riding the bike this week stay safe. Bye.